it time? This is the My New Norm podcast. And I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. In this episode, you'll hear from A.J. Newson. A.J. is a storyteller. He's a son, a husband, a father, business owner, creative force, and craftsman who has a deep love for God, burritos, and family. Now let's go to episode one of this two-part series. You know, what? what's a memory you have of us together that you think about? Me and you? Yes, us. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know, uh, a lot of the memories that I have of us together, at least the ones that stick out the most, are probably the ones where you and I are getting excited over some little weird fine tchotchke you know, antique, you know, something weird in your office. Like I just found this 1950s fan. It doesn't spin, but the colors on it are so cool. You know, or, or or when we used to walk around and talk about your mini Cooper and you stuffed some big Ford monster motor in it. That happened. The triumph. Yes. (laughs) Or yeah, the triumph. That's what it was. And then I, I remember just like, Every time we would talk about it, like, yeah, I turned it on, but then I drove it, and then the nine-inch shaft to the rear end busted. Because <laughs> <laughs> the transmission was just about as long as the entire car. And so there was, like, I just remember, oh. like, my hand was was almost as long as the drive shaft from the output of the transmission right into the rear end. <laughs> well, like, I used to adjust <laughs> I used to adjust the mirror on the side, on the right side as I was I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember uh, thinking this is a go-kart and you somehow I know it. the monster Ford motor in there. I just couldn't I know it. Oh, I love it. I am so glad you are in studio today. And I just want you to share a little bit about some of the changes that have occurred in you growing up and where you are, kind of get inside your brain a little bit. So thinking about you growing up, I only I met you later when you were in your, what, 20s? Yeah. Uh, 2004. That's when I think I met you. That's when I was investigating the church for a yeah. second or third go round. Uh, yeah, and, that would have uh, been the movement. The movement church, that's right, in San Marcos, uh, just across from Discovery. Uh, yes, San Marcos Boulevard. So but that's before- the time we got to know each other. But yeah. I want to go back to when I did not know you. What were you like growing up? Well, I was an eighty <laughs> kid. I mean, I mean, was, <laughs> I grew up on the. I grew up. Well, I don't want to say I grew up, but I spent my first eight years on the North County San Diego coast in uh, Del Mar. But my family is all transplants from Texas, and okay. as soon as my dad and my mom started having babies. It's like all of a sudden 
the Texas family decided to migrate up to California to catch tan. And <laughs> so growing up, all I knew was uh, my cousins and my grandma and my uncle, and, you know, my family from Texas. And then right. my mom from Mexico who had the heaviest accent you could ever imagine. And mm. that was just normal to me. Uh, but it also made for some very interesting experiences with people as I was growing up that I didn't really necessarily recognize until I was older that I realized how they were treating my family, like specifically my mom, how they mm. treated my mom, how they looked at my mom from Latin America. So, yeah, I love your mom. My, my mom is a, uh, she honestly, she's like, I don't think she doesn't know how to be outside of beast mode. She is, yeah. uh, she's always working. My grandmother the same way, you know, worked all the way until she, she uh, was sent to the hospital and she had the last two weeks of life. And um, that that's kind of my mom. My mom's the same way. She doesn't know how to stop working. And if she has nothing to do, she creates things to do so that she can have something <laughs> to stress out about and panic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I swear that's what keeps her alive. <laughs> yes. It's the a monumental amount of stress and something to panic over. <laughs> something urgent. <laughs> something urgent all the time. Uh, uh, but yeah, growing up in, in on uh, North County Coastal in Del Mar, it was a different experience. Like for me, uh, you know, the, at the as the 80s were really coming to fruition, I was a child. I was born in 1978. Uh, so as the 80s were we're coming of age and really uh, making a mark and a footprint in culture. Uh, I was just, I was just a polywog and uh, you know, the skate culture was big. The surf culture was big. I was essentially just like a six year old, seven year old when all that stuff was just coming out, you know, just the splash of colors, neon colors, the flock of seagulls haircut, the leg warmers (laughs) with the pumps and the off the shoulders and cut the, I mean, like, you know, like the valley girl, the whole thing. Oh yeah. The Walkman. Oh man. Like, yeah. uh, I remember the transition to having just AM FM on your hip to having a cassette (laughs) recorder with AM FM. And you were the, you know, you were the thing. And I remember the times of, you know, making your own playlist with your Magnavox cassette. Nobody remembers that stuff. Oh and, and, you know, and you don't, like you could be just popular for making your own cassettes of, of songs that oh you recorded my. off the radio. And, and <laughs> times were different, man. Times were way different. You know, Ronald Reagan was our president. I don't, I don't know, man. Like you, from this time to the, uh, this time to that, I mean, the, it's uh, we as a country and a culture of, come along a long way and it's it's like for me and i just as like it is for you it's hard for me to imagine as a child coming up and then being a young adult with everything that i came up through to see where we're at today i know it's It's like the frog in the boiling water exactly that's exactly what i was gonna say exactly yes exactly exactly yep just keep turning up we have uh adjusted slowly yeah you know, this is weird. You you know my brain. I'm thinking, what kind of bike did you have? Were you a Stingray guy or? I started bike? off with a Murray. A Murray. Yeah, I was a typical Murray, except for um, ten speed. 
No, 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 no. Uh, oh, okay. BMX style, like a ramp bike. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Back then, you know, like skating was cool, but man, the only way you were allowed to even get in the bowls, the pools, the ramps uh, was you had to have a special type of bike. And that was the only kind of bike you could have. But before the Murray bike, my dad actually <laughs> built me a bike. What? Like yeah. the frame, everything? So, so my dad was big back in the day. Swap meets, man, were the thing. Right. You remember going to the swap meet and like you had like three swap meets you would go to in San Diego. You go to Colby's, you go yeah, to the downtown. Uh, right. You go to Colby's. That's yeah. the big one. And that's kind of the more of the retail venue. But that's where there was a lot of spots. Right. Yeah. Um, Spring, Spring Valley. Valley. Yeah. That was the next big one. And that's where that's where all the gear. That was sketchy. Were, it was. Right. Everybody yeah. was packing something like everybody was packing dirty. Literally. Was dirty. Literally. Everybody had a gun. <laughs> And then, and then, <laughs> then there was the Oceanside swap or the Escondido swap, and those two swaps were kind of uh, like, well, I'm just gonna meander, maybe eat a troll and see if I find some parts or something, right? But right. when you went, but Springfield, man, that's like that's where you went to hustle. So, yeah. but that's you know, like my dad was big into that, and uh, it was like every single weekend that was like his go-to thing. That was his place to decompress, and I think that's probably where. For me, that's where the love of mechanics through my mm. dad and those experiences really developed because my mm. dad had his own shop in the, in the garage. He was also um, he was an engineer for the Air Force uh, before he left the Air Force. So he he never stopped goofing on stuff like he was always building something, making something, yeah. fixing something. He was the he was the jack of all trades for sure. Yeah. And that definitely was something that was passed down into the DNA because I became. Oh yeah. Yeah. I see you the same way. You know, he would go to the uh, swap meet and he would, he'd be thinking what, what project or what can I build? Mm -hmm. You know, that's how his mind worked. And Mm -hmm. really that's how yours works. Oh, it's the same way. Like even my, my, my dad would, I remember when we were going through the swap meet, and uh, we were at the Spring Valley one and we were walking through and I saw this thing that to me looked like a spaceship. It, it, for a kid, it looked like a spaceship. Had no wheels on it. It was just a frame. And then there was a little seat in it, right? Oh, my. And I kept walking around it, walking around it, walking around it. And finally, I came bugging my dad and, and my dad, you know, he kept shooing me away. Like, go away, son. I'm looking at this toolbox. I'm trying to make a deal on this toolbox. <laughs> and then finally, I, like, I bugged him enough. That he finally went down to the aisle, and we went and talked to this dude. And you know, back you remember back in the day. I mean, smoking the bandit was a big deal. Everybody had to mm. have suspenders that were rainbow colored. This mm. dude was just everything you could imagine from smoking the bandit, except for everything he drank was probably like Bud Light, twenty four <laughs> packs every single day. Right? <laughs> just uh, this dude led with his belly button. So. Oh my. He, <laughs> You know, so my dad's trying to make this deal. This dude, when he talked, he he always seemed to spit when he talked. So, you know, it was like, you know, stand outside of the sixth row, right? So (laughs) we we started chatting. And so my dad made a deal. He picked up the thing. And I did. He still didn't even know what it was. I just was excited because I kept thinking it was a spaceship. So I finally said, Dad, what is it that you just bought? He said, son, I just bought us a go-kart. And I'm like, a go-kart? He goes, yeah, it's not a spaceship, son. It's a go-kart. No oh, wheels, my. no steering wheel, no steering rod. All it had was a fire That's what he saw. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you're kidding. He goes, no. So over the course of probably like three years, 
parts here and there. I mean, it took him three years to build it, but it was a full racing go-kart. He had worked out a deal somewhat with this dude. And it was like an Italian racing frame that was made in Italy. Oh, and I like and he, he fixed all the cracks in the frame. And then we repainted it, put on a fiberglass, the whole thing. I mean, it was just like by the time we got it to the parking lot, this thing was legitimately a rocket. Right. So wow. that was for me. That was a that was a huge experience where my dad was sharing with yeah. me what he used to do, because back in the day when he was in Texas, he lived in Temple. Or he grew up in Temple, and his dad was in the Air Force but was gone all the time, retired out of the Air Force. And so he was only with his mom. They were very, very poor. And so the only thing he had was to repair motors, fix motors, take them apart. He was he was just a very curious child. Yeah. But the only thing he had to do was either break it apart if it was broken or and try and fix it. And he built wow. his first go-kart out of uh, two uh, two-by-fours from the shed some wheels from a, a push mower and mm-hmm. a, a lawnmower motor that had been sitting outside for God knows how long that he totally broke down, rebuilt it and put it together. And so he ripped <laughs> around on the, on the dirt streets of Temple, Texas on his first little go-kart that he used with rope and strapping and plastic wheels and all kinds of stuff. So for me, I, you know, and I didn't even hear about that story until we got done building this go-kart and took it for its first ride in a, in a parking lot. And it was like to some business park. And so he told me that story and, you know, that's where as, as an adult, I really appreciated my, my dad's ability to fix, repair, Mm -hmm. dream of things. Like, you know, he never, my dad was like, a he had a green thumb for mechanics. You know what I mean? Because (laughs) if, when you're, when you're someone who gardens, you're not just a grease thumb. He's a grease thumb, right? That's a good one. So like when you're a gardener, you're not just thinking about, planting the seed mm-hmm. and then it grows up like it's going to happen in a week or a month. You're thinking right. about the long term of the garden, you know, the mulch, what's in the dirt, how it's going to feed the plant. You're thinking about the long term, right? Mm-hmm. So my dad was the same way when he built stuff. He didn't see things just in the now. He saw things way far out. That's why he could take three years to build it because he could see yeah. how it wanted. he wanted it to look right then and there. But he was yep. willing to be patient to find the appropriate parts that he wanted to make it the way he wanted it. And he was willing to be patient for it to produce his wow. dream, his idea, and his vision. Uh, wow. That's something that I definitely didn't necessarily <laughs> get <grasp laughs> on to. But something I definitely respect to my father because it's something that I at least have an idea of. But that's yeah. how my dad is. You know, he's a, he's a bookworm. He loves to read. He's self-taught on everything. He doesn't like, he'll do, he'll let people teach him things, but he's, he He wants to to figure it out. He wants to figure it out because he feels like that's how it'll solidify in his own mind and his heart. Yeah. Wow. Well, growing up, think about your worst and your best day growing up. Well, one of the worst days. Okay. So going back to the whole idea of being in the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. And for the people who are listening, uh, I'm sure some of them are going to be like, I remember the flock of seagulls. Well, it was a style. It was a haircut, right? Where you have a whole bunch of heavyweight hair all to one side. You know, you kind of oh, like yeah. do your hair flip and, you know, you oh, knock yeah. your hair to the side. You know, dudes were always doing that, especially the kids, you know, little surfer kids and stuff. My sister was big into like, and this is another thing in the 80s, mod, right? 
So oh, yeah. she was big into that style, that look. We're talking about like Cindy Lauper, right? Mm-hmm. That's the like that style. You know, she was very geared up into that whole like Cindy Lauper stuff, early Madonna, you know, those types of things. <laughs> like that style. That was her vibe, right? Mm. But she had this like valley girl thing going. Well, <laughs> I had a crush on one of her friends, right? Mm. Super crush. Like she had the big bangs the curly blonde hair i mean it looked like a coastal wave was gonna crash on her face (laughs) that's how big her hair was okay so i had this big crush on her and i remember one night they were having like some party or whatever you know watching movies and stuff on tv and uh i can't i got sat down on the couch and back then all i had was a bowl cut and i mean a legitimate no joke stainless colander bowl on my head cut it right on the rim all the way around right (laughs) so one day this girl her name was cindy she says you know you would look so cute if you just had that little flock going on and i'm like oh shoot yeah she's like yeah if you just had that little flop just a little flock of seagulls thing and i was like what is she talking about? But I was just rosy cheeked. I was giddy. The fact that her voice was tickling my ears was just enough for me. Right. So after all this had happened, my sister, uh, one day was just, you know, whatever she was doing, talking or whatever. So I caught her and I came up to her and said, Hey, what is this haircut she's talking about? And she goes, well, I can give it to you. I was like, can you actually do it? Yeah, I can do it. Now, granted, I'm a kid, right? I'm, I don't yeah. think I was like seven years old, almost eight years old at the time. Very trusting child because I'm looking up to my big older sister who is nine years older than me. So as far as I'm concerned, she's as old as one of my teachers, but she's not. Yeah. But that's how I looked at it. Like, you know, on the right. So she's like, yeah, I can give you that haircut. So we go down into the, the garage. She pulls up one of my dad's uh, stools and I sit on the stool she puts a, a, a picnic table, one of the the, the uh, red and white ones, the checker flag kind of looking one. She wraps that picnic table thing around me. You know, I sit down. She starts cutting my hair. Of all the tools that she could have, right? Because she's not, she doesn't know how to cut hair. She doesn't have the actual no, scissors. No. She goes and grabs the scissors that are dull at the tip for crafts, for children, <laughs> oh, for no. construction paper that are dull. No. And she starts cutting her hair. Now, the way she cut my hair was, She didn't cut my hair so that I had the length and it would look appropriate so that the the hair was heavy and do the thing that it was supposed to do. She physically cut my hair to the shape. What that basically meant was she cut real high on one side, brushed my hair wet all the way front down like I had just bangs, right? She cut Mm. my hair on one side short, like maybe an inch long. And literally cut like a stock market drop, like it was just no. failing all the way down from the top of my right eye, crossed over down to oh my left my. eye, just a straight drop, right? And then I had this crazy <laughs> line in my hair. She chopped up all my hair on one side. Then she said, oh, it'll look great. It'll look great. And I was already like, just feeling oh, like, shoot. you know, you know how kids are back in the day, man, oh, they yeah. murder. You look different. You look out of place. Right. Not wearing the key brands, Quicksilver and all that stuff, you're gonna get murdered, murdered on the lot. So <sighs> I was already feeling it. And granted, you have to understand, my parents, my parents were still dressing me in knit sweaters. I used to fight <laughs> with them all the time about wearing shorts because they wanted me to wear pants. I'd only wear shorts, so I'd be the kid wearing shorts, 
like the the shorts that you could wear, like skaters would wear with a knit mm-hmm. sweater, right? And a button wow. up that with the collar hanging out outside of the, I mean, I was literally, I was a You mean like preppy? Tragedy. More yeah, preppy? It was like, it was like a preppy smashed up into a school kid, smashed up into Goodwill just had a sale, right? Oh I was my. a tra- walking tragedy. So the, oh. the next day I go to school, because this happened like on a weekend, the very next day I go to school, my uncle, he's down from Texas. He walks me to school and he's laughing the whole time. He's chuckling about my haircut, right? I walk down into the schoolyard and right off the uh. bat, kids aren't they just don't even stop they're like what happened to your no filter yeah yo none none one of my kids that you hung out with in my group who's in my homeschool uh like class he's like it looked like you tripped and fell into a lawnmower i'm like oh Oh, Oh. it was not so so that was my that was probably my worst day especially because there was another girl that i had a crush on who was in my grade you know and and she was also new to the school. She had just come down from Los Angeles. And I don't know what it was about coming down from L.A. But if you were from L.A., it was like, oh, you're from L.A. And anyway, <laughs> so she came down from L.A. And she was she sat at my table in homeschool. And I had the biggest crush on her. And, man, I, I had crushes all over the place. And then you know, I just remember her coming up to me. And she gave me this weird look. And I was like, it's it's the fucking seagulls. You, you know the <laughs> and I tried to whip my hair around, but I had all this little short hair sticking out up on the top, and then this long, weird oh. cut in my hair, and, and nothing made sense. And everybody just oh. laughed at me. So that was probably my worst memory. Yeah, my that would bring some damage. Yeah, <laughs> to you. What was your I, best? Day? It's a you know, it's tough because um, it's a double edged sword. I'd say it's another bad memory mixed with a great ending. So. uh <laughs> What it was was I I don't know if you remember, but back in the day there was like you know how we have kick scooters now, except for they're using mm-hmm. like those hard wheels, right? Well, that trend was from the eighties. Because back in the day we had kick scooters, but they had aired up tires, like bike tires, right? And that was a right. big deal back then, because even BMX, uh right. Murray, like all the big brands got on this kick scooter thing. Right? So I got a kick scooter. And for whatever reason, I was just I was just a uh, I was just a little, I was a, I was a bad dude on that thing. And um, anyway, so it was like on a Saturday, I think me and my brother, we asked my parents and back in the day, man, parents would just let you go do anything and everything out of the house and not yeah. know what you were doing, where you went, how far as you went As long home, as you were out of the house. As long as you're out of the house and as long as you came home behind, at least my parents, For dinner. as long as you home before those lights came on on the streetlight. Yeah. That was the rule. There was no cell phones. They couldn't check up on you. So they just had to trust that wherever you were doing, you were You're going to come back. That's right. <laughs> there was so much trust back then. So anyway, my my uh, I told my parents, hey, mom, we're going to go to the 7-Eleven, which was like two miles away. We had to cross a major highway to get to it. Hmm. Anyway, and again, we're under 10 years old. My brother was five. No, five mm. or six, right? So I go to my school. I don't know why we always wanted to go to the school on the weekends when we had something to do, but right. that's where we'd go. So we go to the school, and there's this access area that's to the back of the lot, um, way down on the fields, and it's a steep access, kind of like a little trail. There's a large wall, probably about five feet high, and then you could walk down on the side of it, and it was kind of like a, a backstop uh, to a baseball field, it, sort mm. of, right? And then probably about 
I don't know, 15 feet in front of that was the large backstop that was the chain link fence, you know, with kind of like that half dome look to it. So if the ball got T-balled or whatever, you know, the right. chain link fence would catch it up high. Okay. So kids would walk down this little access uh, from the community that was just on the other side to get to the school quicker. Right. So one day, I don't know what it was, but here comes this girl from Los Angeles, right? I'm crushing and I'm like, oh my God, there she is. And she was walking with two other boys from another older uh, grade, you know, like for whatever reason, these were also the kids that made fun of me, kind of bullied me a little bit, but they were also the cool kids. So it's like, you kind of just suck it up. Right. Hmm. Well, for whatever reason, I said, Hey, I'm going to jump down this, this, uh, I'm going to go down this little trail here. I'm going to jump that thing at the end. Right. Like to get their attention (laughs) and get her attention. I'm going to do something totally stupid. My brother's looking at me like, don't do it. He literally says, don't do it. (laughs) I look at him like, I'm going to do it, right? And the girl, so I got her attention. She stopped, so they wanted to watch. The day before, it had lightly rained, so everything was still wet. The dirt was still wet, and I didn't see that there was a giant mud puddle on the other side of this wall that I was going to jump off of that, again, was almost five feet tall. So I get up there, and my brother's like, don't do it. Don't do it, AJ. Don't do it. And I look over at him for a quick second. I give him a little wink and a smile. And I push real hard on the scooter. I go down the trail. I'm going way faster than I thought. And as soon as I get to the edge, I jump on the scooter and I yank up on it real high. And I'm like flying, right? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to make it. Well, I didn't realize how fast I was going. And I didn't think I was going to go as far as I did. But I had dang near covered the entire distance from that back wall to the chain link fence. No. When I landed into the ground, I hit this giant mud puddle. And the scooter would not stop. It slid out and it slid out sideways. And what I decided to stop on was not my brakes, not the scooter, but was on a giant metal pole with my forehead. Oh, (laughs) my word. And it happened in seconds. It was like a slide. Bang. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally fell over in the mud. Right. All I heard was my brother screaming. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He ran down after me. I'm crying. Like you wouldn't believe, like I'm crying like a newborn baby. Again, I'm just giving them more ammunition to make fun of me, point snicker, ha ha ha, right? The whole (laughs) way home, the whole way home, I'm crying. I didn't want people to see me because I started looking like a mongoloid, right? I just had this giant lump on my face. It was growing. I couldn't see out of my eye. It was huge, just massive black eye, just bad news. Well, I get home. Okay, so that's another bad day. Here's the good part. I get home. Well, guess who happens to be there? Well, my older girl crush, right? With the no. blonde hair and the, the whole thing, right? She's there. And I go in. She's like, oh, she sees me kind of crying. And as soon as I see her, when I walk in the door, I try to stop crying. But it wasn't happening, right? Like I'm right, still, right. Like, you know, in the in the hiccup stage where you like you get so crybaby about stuff. You're like, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm walking in. I'm still doing that. She immediately comes up to me. Right. And I could barely see who it was. Oh, what happened to you? Are you okay? And then she's like giving me a hug. And I'm like nuzzling into her big old knit sweater that's hanging halfway off her shoulder. And I'm just like, I could smell that coconut smell on her. Like she was just, (laughs) and I'm just like, I'm like, right. And then all of a sudden, I just got all this love and attention. And then she sat me down on the couch and she's like rubbing my hair and she's like, you're going to be okay. And then my sister got ice for my eye. Then she just literally paid attention to me for the rest of the day fed me popcorn the whole thing so oh my 
that wound up being one of my best days. Best (laughs) days. Best day ever. Oh, that's a great one. Didn't impress the young girl in my school, but I definitely impressed the girl that I wanted to when I got home. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, my. Well, let's speed up a bit. Where and how did you meet your wife, Jorah? Uh, I actually met her at the Movement Church. The first time I met her was uh, I had just you you remember this? Remember I was um, I was seeing that one girl. Yes. Uh, you don't have to say her name. Uh, we'll just call her D, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that I was, was her name. <laughs> that was that was that was the first letter of her name. Right? It was the first letter of her name. Right. Okay. Anyway, so we. I was dating her and then it, you know, it was a tumultuous relationship. And instead of, you know, all the red flags and warning signs and doing exactly what I have always done, I see warning flags, red signs. And for some reason, I decide I'm going to go ahead and jump in head first in spite of it all. So, you know, we got engaged and then, you know, That's we almost, right. almost got married, that whole thing. Right. And everyone was telling me, yep. no, 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 don't do it. And I'm just looking at you with a half cock smile and a wink in my eye. So yep. uh, that broke up. I burned everything. Right? I was just like, freedom, yeah. right? And I had made this promise to myself that I was no longer going to chase after girls or women or nothing like that. I was going to let God make the choice for me. That's it. Mm-hmm. Period. End of story. And the only thing I had done through some advice of some, actually some guys that were going to the warehouse church uh, at that time were that I should pray for my wife. I don't know who the she future is. future wife. Future wife. Start yeah. building that spiritual, uh, spiritual connection right now, right? And I thought that was really odd, but it did something for me. Like there was these times when I would feel lonely or I'd feel depressed or, you know, I'd look at these other dudes with their girls or get married and engaged. And when that would happen, I would just pray for my wife. I would pray for yeah. her feeling sad or depressed or lonely or not having the one or the, you know, then I'd be like, baby, I'm coming. Lord, you just right, let her right. know I'm coming. I'm coming like right. a freight chain. I'm coming. Right. <laughs> So uh, anyway, some time goes by, you know, I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm getting wicked connected with the Lord. You know, when you get all that woman stuff out of the way, you know, for chicks, it's to get the dude stuff out the way. You know, all of a sudden it's like your connection with the Lord just becomes major, just becomes monumental Mm -hmm. center of everything. Right. You know, I just made this list. I remember one night I was having dinner with some friends and um, this one girl that was dating my brother had asked me like, she was trying to hook me up with her friends. And so she asked me to make this list of what the perfect girl would look like because she wanted to hook me up. And I'm, I told her, I was like, well, I don't need you to hook me up because I'm, I don't need you to pick for me. You know, like I'm waiting for God to pick for me. And everybody thought that was the wildest, stupidest thing they'd ever heard. You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't yeah. you go out there and put yourself out there? How are you going to, how is God going to bring a woman to you? And I used to say this, I could be out in the middle of a forest and there's no one for thousands of miles and God will walk that woman right up to my front door. That's how much right. I trust in him. That's how much right. I know he's got the right woman for me, that he will do that. Okay. So <laughs> I used to say that all the time. So anyway, I wrote, I made this list, right? I made the, this long list and I wrote it down on a napkin with little boxes on it and everything. You know, she has to like chucks and she has to be this and kind of like a tomboy, but still likes to get pretty and da, 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 da. You know, I made this very specific list. Wow. Okay. And I saved that thing. I don't know where it is now, mm. but I saved it for a long time. Okay, so now you fast forward to me deciding I wanted to get involved in, in, in kind of the ministry side of serving at the church. And so I decided I wanted to do something. So I go up to the lady at the front uh, and I asked her, like, hey, how can I participate? She goes, well, you know, 
have you done anything before? And said, you know, I was, I told her I was, you know, helping with you with the warehouse and I was doing that kind of stuff, but I wanted to do something else. And she says, uh, well, you know, we could use a greeter on Sundays. And I was like, man, that'd be awesome. I could do greeting. I could do greeting. Yeah. What do you do at greeting? She goes, well, you greet people like when they come in. I was like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. What else you got to do? She goes, that's it. You just hand them pieces of paper, pamphlets. We give you everything. I was like, that's it. And she says, that's it. Just make sure that you're the first thing that they see and that you're happy and you're excited. And I'm like, well, look at me. Come on. I'm a ginger. You know, I, just, I am a wild unicorn of excitement. So <laughs> she's like, she, I love your enthusiasm. So anyway, so the very first Sunday comes around. I go get this uh, pamphlet, you know, rubber band of papers. She goes, oh, and you're going to have a partner today. Um, you know, let me introduce you. Her name is uh, Jora Keshka. And I look over and here's this girl. You know, she's got fluffy brown hair and she had a she had a smile about her. It wasn't anything necessarily like off mm-hmm. off the bat. I can say because my eyes were focused on something totally different. I would say she was attractive, but I wasn't attracted. You know what I mean? Mm. I was like, she's a cute girl. You know, you I, I looking. Like, wasn't yeah. looking at all. It's just a cute girl, right? So this whole time, her and I were doing greeting, and and my thing was, it's like I look over at her and I'd be like, yo, let's have a little bet. Whoever can whoever can give the most high fives before we close the doors for service has to buy the other person coffee. You know, something like that. Oh. So we just had this whole thing all day long, giving people high fives, you know, giving them the papers, telling them what the, the, the service is going to be about, and just doing this whole thing back and forth, just like super energetic, right? And of course, I won. I know, I know she would tell you differently, but I'm going to tell you that I won. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, we had a really good time. Then uh, I didn't see her for the longest time. And uh, I would once in a while I'd catch her and it's like, when are you going to do the, you know, the servant thing? I'd say, because I wanted to, you know, interact with her again. Finally, we had an opportunity to, to serve again. She wound up having to take something, some other service thing. At the time, I was also living with a bunch of dudes in one house. And I had this, this mm. idea that I was going to do a Christian dude house, which kind of worked out, but kind of didn't. Because everybody in the house kind of had a, it was like they were in the very infancy of them being Christians, right? So they were mm. still kind of hanging on to doing things that they like yeah. to do. But it, it was worth a try, right? So I decided I was going to have this little party at my house. I wound up seeing her. Uh, she passed by me and I saw her and and uh, she was working at the at the cafe. Remember how we had built that cafe yeah. at the at the Movement Church? So she was working at the cafe. She comes around the corner. I say hello and I was all excited to see her, you know, like just happy to see a good person. She goes, I'm working at the cafe. What are you doing? Uh, I was like, oh, I'm doing this thing. She goes, well, I'm going to go make some coffee. Do you want anything? I was like, I don't know. Surprise me. Right. And for whatever reason, I turn around and I look at her. Right. She's walking away when she's talking to me. Right. I turn around and I decide to look at her. Well, at the same time, I swear to God, this is right out of a rom-com. As I turn around to look at her with a big old fat smile on my face, not for any other reason that I'm just smiling. She turns around, looks right at me, and she's got the goofiest smile on her face. Right. Looking at me. Right. And it was like, dream weaver. Right. Like all of a sudden that just happened. And So then all of a sudden I'm like, what is going on? So something was triggered. Right. I have to say a seed was planted. Something was triggered. Right. So I'm like, I got to go see what's going on. Right. I'm not I'm not dead. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm just focused (laughs) on something different, but I ain't dead. And I just saw something. So then I had uh, to go chase her down. I talked to her and that's when I actually got her phone number. Right. Wow. And she's like, man, who's this dude trying to get my phone number? But she gave it to me. I, I weaseled it out of her. Didn't call her. Said I was going to call her. Didn't call her. 
Weeks go by, and then I finally decide one day I'm driving around. Remember that van I had where I oh, spray painted yeah. flames on it? And okay, anyway, that's well, what you had chalkboard. Um, chalkboard. You painted yeah, that's it. All, that. That, I did. I did it with. As a matter of fact, with your son Brady, we did a whole uh, flame paint job on my van. That's a whole other story. Is like yeah. how, how what tragic that like one of your haircuts. <laughs> Sorry. oh my gosh anyway so i was driving around and i just flipping through my my contacts and i see her name pop up and i decided to give her a call we go back and forth and we eventually meet up for coffee at a starbucks and i don't know what it was man but when we met for starbucks uh, her and i just talking it was like in that very moment it was like the world has stopped sound had Mm. stopped the only thing that mattered was us sitting down in that moment and as I was asking her questions about things and, and life, and I don't know yeah. what it was because this is way, 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 way. We're probably maybe close to a year away from when I had written that little note. That little note with all of my little checklists, it popped up in my head. And wow. as we were talking, everything on that checklist was checked off on top of the fact that I was adding more boxes to check them off with her. And wow. I, I literally knew who she was, but didn't necessarily know who she was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I literally, and she'll tell you this, I was so freaked out by who the possibility of what she was to me was sitting yeah. right in front of me at that very moment Yeah, that I stood up on my chair in front of everybody. And I said, who are you? Like, who are you right now? Like, where like did you Tom come Cruise. from? Right, I literally was screaming at Tom Lowe's, who, where did you come from? Where did you come from? And she had no idea what I was talking about. But I was like, literally, I'm like, yo, I think I think I'm talking to the one right now. But it was like, you know, it's like one of those things where you're it's like it's so shocking, the revelation that you don't even want to believe it. Right. It's so shocking. You don't even want to believe it. But that's what it was. I I started to recognize, oh, man. But I was also committed to not chasing. I was committed to it. So I had to stick to my guns and not chase. But that was well, basically, that was, that was it. You know how me yeah. and my wife met and, uh, and, and kind of evolved into where we're at now. Thanks for joining me for part one of my conversation with AJ. Be sure to join us for part two in two weeks when AJ shares the rest of his story. This has been the My New Norm podcast, and I'm still your host, Barry Scott Young.